So last week was our first pass at Pirkei Avot, and if you missed the introduction last week, it's okay. The recording is wonderful. Ah, the recording is up. You can listen to it as a podcast. Uh, you just have to go to soundcloud.com, and uh, there are other ways to access it too, through Facebook. Um, um, I put it up there too, and you put my name in, and up come all the classes that we've recorded here. Wow. And you can download them as podcasts or just listen to them on your computer. So what I want to do, and I'll restate this, is that this class is called Jewish Wisdom for the New Year, and I decided to turn to my favorite and probably the most famous text of Jewish wisdom teachings, which is called Perkevot, and just study it with you. And uh, then between the ancient wisdom and our own insights and our own sharing with each other, we can get ourselves aligned, ready, as ready as we can be, ready or not, for uh, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, the activity of, Rosh, of getting ready for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in Elul is called Teshuvah. Teshuvah means re- return, repentance, response. Uh, it involves self-reflection, self-accounting, seeing where and if there are things we can do in our lives between ourselves and people we care about to uh, uh, clean up our act and also what we might need to do between ourselves and our own nishamas, our own souls, and our own relationship with God as we understand it, in order to be as ready as possible for the new year. I gained a lot from the last class myself. I wrote down some things, um, uh, which I do every year. Uh, uh, I sort of, a little, I like to have a little, I like, I like to make it as kind of, manageable as possible, a list of things that I'm going to be focusing on in how I approach the world, myself, etc. And the class was very helpful for me in getting me sort of off the mark on that. So thank you. So then, last time we used the first entry here, Shimon the Righteous, on page one, as our jumping off point, and then we bounced around to other teachings. So now I thought, let's just go on to the next one and see what happens. So, uh, look at page one and number three. And again, if they've seen this for the first time, the reason the numbers aren't in order is because I took the liberty of excerpting from the collection of sayings, sayings that really jumped out at me this year that I wanted to make sure we got to. So this is not the complete collection. That's very easy to access online. And you're most invited to do that. Okay, so, number three, Antigonos of Soho, not Soho, that's different, (laughs) received the tradition from Shimon the Righteous. Okay, just for context, um, this is a, the, the ancient rabbinic tradition was a spiritual lineage. It was passed from master to student. That's how it was done, just like in so many other ancient wisdom traditions. So when it says Antigonus received from Shimon the Righteous, 
That's what it's talking about. And then he rose to a position of master. Rabbi is often translated as master. You know, so. Uh, received the tradition from Shimon the Righteous. And this was a favorite teaching of his. And let's spend a little time with this one. Because it's very simple and clear, and it's one of the hardest things in the world to do. Do not be like servants who serve their master expecting to receive a reward. Be rather like servants who serve their master unconditionally with no thought of reward. And then he adds, also let the fear of God determine your actions. And we'll talk about fear of God, because uh, that's not a favorite term in our generation. Uh, but we'll, we, we can come up with other ways of phrasing that. Um, okay, so in Hebrew it says, Al That's the pras is a um, prize. It's a Greek loanword into Hebrew. Greek was the lingua franca. That's what everyone, that was the language of discourse during this time. And many, many Greek words became Hebrew words. Uh, just like in every language, it's like uh, uh, weekend made it into French and Hebrew. Weekend. It's all over the world. It's a loan word from the most dominant language in the world right now, English. Right? So similarly, back then, Greek was the language of international discourse, commerce, philosophy, learning, and so many, many Greek words made their way into Hebrew at the time. So that's why, so that's why the word pras is in there. It means prize. Do not be like servants who serve their master expecting a prize. Uh, that worked well in elementary school for me. I, was a, I wanted that gold star. <laughs> Rather, be like servants who serve their master unconditionally. Uh, uh, without... Uh, with no thought of reward. Let's stop there. Rabbi, what is the date around? Okay, so this collection was collected in the beginning of the third century CE, but it documents a lineage going back several hundred years before that. So, like Antigonus Osoko, who has a very Greek name, doesn't he? Right? Uh, uh, Antigonus Osoko probably lived around, I don't know, 200 BC, 150 BC, and then his words were retained and collected in this collection, which is comes from. Do you need one? This I bet you. Okay. Um, uh, so it's collected in the early third century, but this one dates back several hundred years earlier. So it's covering a period from about 200 BC to 200 CE, probably about 400 years of collected wisdom saying. Yes, Shelley. The, the reference to their master, is that like their employer, or is that... Here it says, Hamishamshin et ha-rav. Rav, their rabbi. In other words, this wisdom's collection was specifically for people in the rabbinic academy who were learning how to become judges and teachers of Torah. Since then... It's become something that we all, all Jews use, right? But here, this is like, it's like you come into your, your, your wisdom school 
and you're given, these are the basic uh, teachings that you're going to follow here. So this is actually, many of these are about how to judge fairly. Not just how to judge fairly if you're a person and you have to, to, you know, you have to figure out what the right thing is, but when you're a judge. And uh, um, that makes sense, right? So, so this collection is actually geared towards people in the, in the wisdom school, people in the monastery, people in the, people in the training. <laughs> uh, and training to become rabbis. Rabbis were not, were, rabbis, you know, were teachers, adjudicators, and people who interpreted Jewish law and practice. They were the, and, and to do that, you went through a profound spiritual and academic training. Uh, so that's the Rav, your master, literally. It's like you're sitting at your master's feet, how are you supposed to serve them? Not by expecting a prize, but rather out of this impulse to serve, out of this desire to be of service. Yes, I saw their hands. Yes, Betsy. Yeah, but uh, today, when you interpret it today for the average layperson, That's one of the things we want to do. So who are we referring to? Are we referring to God or the rabbi in our congregation? Okay, so I would take it not at someone specific. But what does it mean to be of service? And what is your intention? Is it recognition? Are you going to then take your marbles and go home because nobody thanks you enough? Are you then... In other words, this is about one's intention when we act in service of anything. anything. That's how I take it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or, if, and the goal here is to know yourself. Like, if you know that you need acknowledgement, that's not a bad thing. But you better ask for it. Because <laughs> there's no guarantees that you're going to get it. And then you can make up a whole story about these ingrates when you never even told them that it's helpful to you to be thanked. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Most, most so, people want to acknowledge um, feedback. Feedback, right, yeah, right. Well, the question is, what do you need? <laughs> yeah, right. And are you going to go into a situation, uh, essentially setting things up so that you can feel victimized or unacknowledged? Or are you going to, right? It, it means, so a lot of all of this for me is self-knowledge. Right? Self-awareness. Know your limitations. Know what you need. Say it out loud. Put it up front. Um, uh, and then the goal that the rabbis put out is that the goal is to serve without needing acknowledgement. Those are the best, those are, that's great when you can just do that. Uh, more hands, yes, Robbie. Well, if you concentrate on doing whatever it is, the best that you can do it, mm -hmm. uh, even if you don't get the accolades that you secretly desire, you have the <laughs> self-satisfaction knowing you did a good job. Yeah. Thank you. So the, the way I like to do this is I want you to think, here's what uh, the Rabbi Antigonus Osolta said, Rabbi Robbie says, right, take it in. There's a lot of wisdom in this room. And if, it, if you like it, take it. You know, if you disagree, then we do what Jews have done forever, which is we say, on the other hand. Right? And that's all good. So part of what I'm doing with this, what I like to do with you all, is assume that we have a lot of, and know that we have a lot of useful and deeply worthwhile life experience to share in here. Um, 
Uh, yes, Shana. Um, well, here's, here's an, an oppositional perspective. Mm -hmm. My first reaction on reading this, and I'm open, open to seeing it through another lens, was that the first part of it smacks of Trump, who is act, asking everybody to serve him unconditionally, and if not, they get fired. Or they get. Uh, <laughs> they get we cannot get through an hour. <laughs> very sadly, without thinking of uh, the guy in the White but House. But this is important because it is important. It's no, it's very important. That's and, the world and, we're in. Yeah. You know, another another perpetrator would be maybe Mitch McConnell, who wants to be the controller of everything mm -hmm. and the gatekeeper of everything. Mm -hmm. The word that um, that triggers my my uh, reaction is unconditionally mm -hmm. because I feel we have a responsibility to filter everything that comes our way through our own values and our own thinking um, and unconditionally doesn't work for me mm -hmm. whether it be a rabbi or a president I, I want to be I want to have control over my reaction to things and my loyalty to things good then the last part the fear of God part, Smacks of Pence, <laughs> because because God God is uh, everybody has their own conceptualization of God, except mm -hmm. for people like Pence, who knows what God is, whereas the rest of us are just so, heretics and fools. So so that's my feeling about this. Good. Does so anybody else? I, I want to. No, I'm going to jump in on that. Um, so this comes from a context where. Uh, uh, like many uh, spiritual um, traditions where there was a master and you became that master's disciple. That's, uh, we, our society is not organized that way. Therefore, we take this teaching and, I mean, some of us have had, have had gurus, I presume, um, and have practiced this, right? In the, in, the, in the Hindu tradition, the guru is there for you to unconditionally serve. It's the same concept. And by doing so, you practice unconditional service, even if the guru turns out to be a schmuck, right? Um, and it's filled with gigantic pitfalls. Um, uh, I don't do that. I don't do that. But I know that this is true, that I want to, when I put myself in service, I want to do it without strings attached. Or, with strings attached. I know that, I know the joy of giving unconditionally. So, I just want to say that, hold on with the comments, because I need to travel with this a little. So then we have to ask ourselves, whom are we serving? Right. That's the question we have to ask. And it doesn't have to be a human being. Okay? In fact, it isn't for me. I'm serving the Constitution of the United States. I'm serving a set of ideals. I'm serving the highest moral truths that I can muster. Who, so the who doesn't have to be uh, 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 personified. And I recommend that we do that with this teaching, or else we'll be stymied immediately just like you are. What do you think? This, this raises some interesting questions and perspectives for me. Mm -hmm. um, one is, what is it about the time we're in that people, um, some people, want that human being? And some people 
develop their platform based on... It has nothing to do with the time we're in. It's human nature. Yeah. Well, not my nature. Uh, good. <laughs> it's part of human nature to want to uh, have a fearless leader. It just is. And then we have to figure out how to overcome that if we're going to live in a democracy. Well, yeah. That's but right. Also, um, I mean, it's a primal struggle of human nature, okay. in how, my opinion. For me, an issue is if I do want to serve and I do want to be part of a community, how to do so without being um, repelled by a leader's um, differences from my thinking? Yes. Yes. Uh, good question. Good question. Now let's talk about the fear of God. Just one second, because I just didn't, I wanted to unpack the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that reminds you of Mike Pence. So what do I mean by morah shamayim, which means fear of heaven? That's, that's what it means. Okay, my best take on that from my, is that's my conscience. My guilty conscience. When I do something that I know is questionable or wrong, the pangs that I get. Uh, so the fear of heaven for me, for me, I mean, I've spent a lot of time translating these, these metaphors into what I think they mean for me, given that I don't uh, see a, a God on a judgment seat. Now, uh, I do not um, reject out of hand the idea that there's some accounting for souls once we're done with this life. Like, that may be true. But no reason for me to reject it. I have no idea. Uh, right? Um, but, but that's just for me an extension of wanting to live my life so that when I leave, my conscience is as clear as possible. That, for me, is the fear of, of heaven. I hope that's helpful. Yes, um, actually. Uh, uh, and uh, so then if I do come before the judgment seat, I won't have so many pages of transgressions that I have to account for. You know, good, I handled it here. Uh, but however, whatever metaphors you use or how you picture the consequences of your actions, uh, except for those of us who somehow genetically should be basically are, are a danger to society because they don't have a conscience. Uh, for the rest of us, that's what we're talking about. And uh, that's what I wanted to share. Now, there's a bunch of hands, so I'm going to, I'll go around this way, okay? Diane? When I read Fear of God, I think, okay, well, what is God? Not a guy in the sky. So it's the great mystery. So if, if I am, uh, and when I'm in line with the great mystery and the order, the best order of things, then I have no cause to fear it. If I'm out of line with yeah. the great mystery, then I, then I'm good. And so that's how I fear. Uh, my fear is of being out of line with the great mystery. Oh, that's beautiful. Let me like let me just share with you the way a rabbi said something similar. But I have to find it. <laughs> Hold on a second. Uh, give me a second. Um, uh, Ah, um, this is on page five at the top. It's Rabbi Hanina Bendosa, who has several comments, 11, 12, and then 13. 
So page five at the top it said. When a person's fellow creatures are pleased with them, God is pleased with them. But when a person's fellow creatures are not pleased with them, God is not pleased with them. So it's kind of like that sentiment of uh, lining ourselves up with what we think is right. Mm -hmm. And there's another one like that too. Um, Let's see. I don't remember exactly where it is. Thank you, Diane. Lori? For me, the part about to not be like servants to serve their master, to me, the master is my purpose in life. It's what I came here to fulfill. And I have to do it unconditionally, no matter what anybody thinks. If I am in touch with what my higher purpose is, this is what I have to do. And so the fear of God for me is missing the mark, not really meeting my higher purpose. Not meeting my higher purpose, which means we have to back up. And in this complicated uh, uh, life, discern our higher purpose. Mm-hmm. Right? Our higher purpose, each of us. And it doesn't have to be a singular thing. It can be like a, can be, it could be a bunch of, bunch of different, even for me at times, competing uh, things. But, we have, if we're going to do this task of, of um, return, repentance, repent means um, uh, to rethink. Uh, so we want to pause before we do anything and remember our uh, um, uh, higher purpose. Good, good phrase. Which I think changes over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Mine changes from year to year, uh, to a certain degree. Though the bottom line about being, you know, my, my sort of most basic mission statement is that uh, everything that happens is an opportunity to grow in love and awareness. So that's, that's one of my favorites. I carry it with me. We all should have our own axioms, and you can take mine if they help you. Lord? So mine is that I'm the vehicle through which creators I'm the vehicle through which Creator does the work. Allows it to change over time. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, Reb Zalman of blessed memory, my teacher, Reb Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi, correct me if if it's like the folk process is getting too awry here, uh, uh, would say at the beginning of the day, Ribbona Shalom, you know, how would he say it? How, 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 am, how am I going, how are you going to deploy, deploy me today? How are you going to, how are you going to deploy me today? He'd ask, uh, you know, higher purpose, how are you going to deploy me today? I love that. I love that. It's more, more mystical than that level of teaching was. Uh, um, yeah. I'll try to give you a good ride today, Ribbona Shalom. Oh, I'll, I'll try to give you a good ride today. Rebona Shalom, which means literally master of the universe, is in Yiddish one of the most, one of the most intimate ways that uh, Jews talk to God. Mm. Right? So, you know, okay, Rebona Shalom, I'll try to give you a good ride today. I love that. I love that. As, as Zalman. That was Zalman, yes? I want to give you a good ride today as Zalman, oh. because I am an expression of 
God's the creator's purpose. And therefore, this expression is called Zalman with all of my strengths and all my quirks. And so I'll do my best to be a good Zalman today. That's like um, the famous Hasidic story about Reb Zosia, which my grandfather really loved, um, who um, is uh, uh, his colleagues. Uh, again, I'm like making up parts of the story, but I'll get to the punchline. His colleagues find him weeping. And uh, they say, what are you weeping for? He says, you know, one day I'm going to go before the judgment seat. Uh, and, and they said, but you're so righteous. It's like you've nothing to worry about. He says, I'm not worried about whether God will say, why weren't you like Moses? Uh-huh. I'm worried he's going to say, why weren't you like Zushia? Mm-hmm. He, and so that's like, uh, you have to fulfill your unique, your, your unique uh, purpose. Nate? Um, well, getting back to what you were saying about giving unconditionally, I don't remember where I heard this, but I totally believe it. They, the most unconditional love that you can give is to your son or daughter, your child. <coughs> and, and in giving to your child, you need nothing ever to get back. Ever, because they've given you everything they can give you just by being born. I, I, I know how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. Still, a oh. call would be nice, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> You hear what Martha said? She said, still, a call would be nice. <laughs> Beautiful. Who, who, thank you. Who else is waiting to say something? Is an email okay? Yeah, <laughs> even email. Oh, oh, yes, Betsy. Getting back to what Lori said about your higher purpose mm-hmm. and it's constantly evolving, what happens when it's in opposition to our dear Vice President his higher calling and his feeling and others like him. And I guess you say that's what makes Muslim, for horse races, right? And the Muslims and, and yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah, so, so where are we with that? Where are we with that? What's your option? Not to pursue your higher purpose? I agree. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so what, basically, is the well, answer. Yeah. So what? Uh, but that's a hard so what. It sure is. We are living in a hard time. And so you're going to let them define your sense of what you're here for and what your well-being is based on? I'm not. And I have followed wrong people from time to time. Yeah. I've w- made whoppers of mistakes. <laughs> no, I mean, we're yeah. not. I don't feel like I'm not. But it's out there. and it's Yes, strange. yes. And so what are our options in times like these? I don't, I don't, have, I don't have like a, a magic uh, formula, but... I'm not going to give up on what I think is true and right and just and good and beautiful. Oh. I'm just not. Yeah, I agree with that too. So that I can look myself in the mirror. And where, what happens? Where the chips fall? Out, you know, we'll do our best. That's the only answer. That, and, and yes, if, if it's time to, you know, as a Jew, I think a lot about when it's time to take up arms. You know, if it becomes that time, I mean, Judaism is very clear that guarding our well-being, our physical souls, and our, it's like you can't fulfill mitzvahs 
if you're in jail or dead or in somebody's, uh, under somebody's thumb, right? You can't, you can't fulfill mitzvahs. So uh, there's, it, it, life is really complicated and we're stuck with this challenge of deciding when to fight and when not to fight, when to go out there and when to withdraw. It's like, ho. Oh. However, underneath all that, I still want to be able to look myself in the mirror. Just like Lori said, said, creator, I'm trying to fulfill as best I can and I'm going to keep doing it. It takes a lot of will. It's not easy. Thank God for Shabbos, as you could say. You need vacation. Somebody will get it. Um, whose phone is that? Oh, okay. Thanks. It's mine and I can't turn it. Well, just put it on your pocket or your, or your, put it somewhere where it's not going to vibrate the whole table. Just put it on something, <laughs> something soft, that's all. I agree with that. I mm-hmm. give as much as I can. All I can. Yeah. Uh, but it's still there. It's the it sure is. For me. And I'm struggling with it now, I'll be honest. You, you and uh, probably most of us in this yeah. room. Um, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I mean, not to mention, yeah, just silence your phone. Sorry. Um, um, that's another thing, like, what do we do? You know, but we could talk about our political leaders. We could talk about climate change, climate crises. We could talk about, we are living in catastrophic times. How do you live in catastrophic times? I would say not much differently than you'd live in other times. You know, that's why this wisdom's been around for 2,000 years. So that's my, that's my unsatisfying answer. Yeah. Uh, Barb? So when you were talking about service, instead of looking at us being servants or unconditionally giving to some higher master. Service made me think of tzedakah and the levels of giving tzedakah. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we could give it where we um, expect to be recognized for it, or we could give it at the highest level, which is you give it anon- anon- anonymously and don't expect any kind of recognition. And yes, it is. It is I think it is hard. We all want to be, not necessarily, again, like you said, pat on the back for doing something. But, you know, somehow acknowledged. But the anonymous nature of giving and just saying, okay, I've given, I've served, and that should be enough. And that should fill me. So let's talk for a minute. Uh, of, uh, I, I just have yeah. something right off of there. Because um, my thought was, is there a difference between um, uh, recognition and... and uh, or reward and acknowledgement. And in my mind, there's a really important difference because acknowledgement means to me that it's been shared. And it's the sharing of whatever it is that is most important to me. Hmm. It's not the reward, because that is the reward. Just the, the, the very act that somebody Somebody says thank you, or I say thank you to somebody else, and it's one of the first things we teach children to say thank you, and you're welcome, which people hardly ever say anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big theme of mine. But, um, so I get get a little nervous when I I hear it's, it's for a reward, which is just something that I would get and keep other than knowing that the energy is being passed around. Thank you. I'm picturing something I've never actually done, which is, say, entering uh, 
some kind of intensive spiritual retreat, whether it's a, an ashram or a meditation retreat or a monastery or a yeshiva or where, where it's not going to be easy. There's a struggle here. You're going to make yourself of service and then watch all the ways that you're frustrated, feel unacknowledged, da-da-da-da-da, and learn that that doesn't have to be an obstacle, ultimately learn, great struggle, that that doesn't have to be an obstacle to continuing to be of service. That, to, to be, you know, sort of like, not trite about it, but, but that it's its own reward. So, um, therefore, look at Um, and uh, just one second that one's there and mitzvah gorirat mitzvah is that in chapter 4 oh right right okay so first look at page 2 So this is the one I was looking for before uh, that uh, when Diane was speaking. Rabbi Judah Hanasi taught. Now Rabbi Judah Hanasi is the one who compiled this collection. And he's just known, the reason his name is in um, brackets is because that's not in the text. He's just known in the brackets as Rabbi. Um, and uh, because he was so prominent that he was just master in that generation. Rabbi Jehuda Nasi taught, which is the path of virtue a person should choose? That which brings honor to his maker and brings him honor from his fellow human beings. Right, so that goes back to, to what you were saying, Diane. And then he said, be as attentive to a minor mitzvah as to a major one. For you do not know the reward of each of the mitzvot. So there's that word reward. But the reward is not the prize that we think we're supposed to get. The reward of doing a mitzvah is something that we can't calculate or predict. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, consider the cost of a mitzvah against its rewards and the rewards of a transgression against its cost. So he's, I don't want to go with that phrase yet. So you do not know the reward of each of the mitzvot, but then turn ahead to page six. Because in dialogue with Yehudah Nasi, this is Shimon ben Azai, number two, on page six. Are you there? Number two. Ben Azai taught, run to pursue even a minor mitzvah and flee from a transgression. For one mitzvah generates another, and one transgression generates another. Thus, the reward for a mitzvah is another mitzvah. And the penalty for a transgression is another transgression. Mm. This is really deep. This is really deep. It's called paying it forward, right? You give because it generates more giving. You avoid transgression because one transgression will inevitably spur another one, whether that's our internal conscience, our internal, you know, 
going down that path, or whether it's in our interactions with the world around us. Some hands, yes. I, I want to address Speak a little that. louder. I just want to address what that, and also what you were saying, Carol, about the difference between acknowledgement and sharing and reward. Or reward. And I don't know if you remember, Rabbi, a few years ago I had come to you, and I was very upset because I had bought my Nisa airline ticket for something, and I wasn't acknowledged. And I was so pissed off. And I, and I was really trying to do this really nice thing, but because, because she didn't say thank you, I was really angry. And even though good came of it, I didn't actually experience the good until I went and spoke to Rabbi Jonathan because I was so upset that I did this thing that no one was giving me back anything and all I really wanted back was thank you. But even that thank you was such a, in my head, perceived as such a reward, I lost the joy of what I did, even though it went on to be a good thing. I'm glad. But, yeah. but I lost that right. joy of, because I, I was so hard. But then I spoke to you, I don't know if you remember the whole, but, but then I went and I came to you and you kind of gave me this teaching. <laughs> and I kind of kept it and now I don't, now when I, if I do do something, it's just because I do it and with no expectation back. And it really has sort of wow, changed. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> well, it's really changed for me because of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for telling me. And blessings to you that you've reached, yeah. reached uh, that, uh, uh, the ability to do that a lot of the time. I mean, uh, you know, and it's like an, it's, an, it's about energy, right? It's about giving good energy. And then, like your niece that time, by not saying thank you, makes their own transgression that will make it less likely for them to be able to receive something from you in the future, even though... So it, it's all about what we do with our energy. But thank you for sharing that. Miriam, you, wanted, you had your hand up. Well, I don't know if it was in class or somewhere. I read that once you tell a lie, you put all your energy into keeping it. Once you tell a lie, you put all your energy into keeping it. We know that's true. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying about transgression is that it's like it, it consumes you. And that's, to me, that's sort of the way. So now I really challenge myself if I'm going to lie or not. <laughs> and not lying does not mean necessarily telling everything. Right, right. right, right. But, right. Um, uh, Gail, did you have your hand up? I'll get around to you too in just a moment. So I'm still on the first one, and actually I have a comment on each phrase, and I'm agreeing with everything that's been said. <laughs> and you're going to say something more. So, um, one of the aspects for me of reward, expecting reward, is not expecting it to pan out. What I'm trying to get to may not happen at all, you know, but... So, but, but I do it anyway, or try to do it anyway. Does that? Yes. And in this political climate, that's very much where we, we are. But it's a general, you know, um, you know, I'm going to write a letter to my daughter-in-law saying, is there any way we can improve our relationship? Tell me what I need to do. She may not even answer me, I still, which is right. 
but I still have to do it. So that's, you know, if I'm if I'm following that path, you know, that I'm trying to follow, and and related. So, but this serving the master unconditionally, I know for me at least, I'm often in this state of, well, I can see kind of what the next move is supposed to be, but it means I don't have lunch with friends for the next month. Mm. You know, or something that really costs me mm. in the rest of my life. And where do you do that balance? Mm -hmm. Which I find a never-ending issue, and I think it is for many of us. Right, which gets to us being in a time of crisis. It's like, how much do we sacrifice of the yeah, pleasures or, of, of our lives in right, order to meet bad. this crisis? Yes, I understand. I'm wrestling with that, too. It can be anything. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is, I was looking, and, and the Hebrew says, does it say fear of Elohim? It says fear of Shemayim. Morah Shemayim. Uh, fear or awe of heaven. Okay. Morah, by the way, means awe, fear, and reverence. So you so fear is an old-fashioned translation, but you could also always translate when you see that word as awe or reverence. But what struck me was of the heavens, of heavens, the heavens. And I was thinking of astrology, those people, and they used that because they were all astrologers. True. And where I went to was that in the, in the nitty-gritty of what do I do today, what do I do next, it's not just about my conscience. Is that going to, you know, it's about looking seriously. Like, what are the consequences, potentially? Which I'll never know completely. But if I do A instead of B, if I smile at this person, if I open the door for them, instead of just walking in and ignoring them. You know, what's, so it's, the Buddhists have a term that I can't think, I can't remember right now, but it's something in consequences. It's just about you know, prior conditions lead to next conditions. Right. Mitzvah, Gorer, Mitzvah. And it's just the way the world works. It's not mystical. It's just, this is the way it is, starting mm -hmm. with the Big Bang. So my conscience may spot some of these things, but even when it doesn't, it matters if I drink too much before I get in my car. It may matter. Mm -hmm. There are potential consequences mm -hmm. that are real. Mm -hmm. So that, I just wanted to add those. Thank things you. To Thank you. Yes, I mean the 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 again the the the, the word from the um, Asian wisdom is karma, but it's all about the energy that we put out and how we put it out into the world and what happens next. But not. But then, if we expect a kind of um, a kind of uh, a linear payback. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. So thank you. But I want to add something, which is that, not add, I want to, you talked about, I think being a mother-in-law, especially of, with a daughter-in-law, uh, may be the biggest spiritual challenge <laughs> anyone can face. Uh, because, I mean, my mom had three sons. I, you know, my kids aren't partnered up, uh, so I haven't, uh, I've dealt with a couple, and they're girls, so I've dealt with a couple of boyfriends. That's really different. Um, and one girlfriend, so I'm, I'm getting with it. So, um, uh, but my mom had three boys, and uh, she had to the 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 as she and these are her sons, right? And the amount of time that she spent not saying things, and she talked to me about this later, uh, so that she could preserve the possibility of having a relationship with her daughters-in-law was just astounding. Went completely against her grain. Um, 
and she did it. Uh, uh, so in terms of uh, in terms of this not in terms of not expecting acknowledgement or reward, I think being a mother-in-law may be, you know, the, one of the biggest spiritual ta- tests anyone can have. That's what I was thinking when I was talking to you. Um, uh, uh, but Carol, sure, thank you. Um, I like what you said about energy because I feel like it's an energetic exchange. An energetic exchange, yeah. With yes. the universe, with other people, with whatever. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I know, I suspect there are people in here who are artists and writers, probably. And if you are, you know that if you receive an inspiration and then you immediately try to make this into something you can sell or you can get praise for, or boy, people are really going to love this, this is a great idea, it kind of screws the whole thing up. You just kind of have to... Give it away. You just you just you have to you have to give it away, and in giving it away, it changes something in you. You 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 grow through that. Because I'm looking at I'm looking at the art in the room, and it's if you're so attached to outcome that you forget the process, it really it mucks everything up. Well said. It, and so it's it, I think part of what we're talking about is letting go of outcome. Mm-hmm. And focusing more on that internal Letting process. Letting go of outcome, focusing more on internal on process. Internal well process said. that lets us be generous. Right. Because when we give something to get something, that's not giving, that's getting. So mm-hmm. any of us so, that have a relationship to our creative muse yeah. knows that right. we have to be in, put ourselves fully in service of it. You know, uh, that some, whatever, right. wherever that inspiration came from, so that we can bring it to fruition. What about business? Well, uh, um, what about business? <laughs> you have to make a living. Exactly. So <laughs> uh, Bobby, Bobby made her living make, writing poetry. But very often, you know, so I'll get someone saying, oh, we're so poor, or this is going to help children that, you know, never find this out. And I say, you may use it at no charge, However, please be sure to put my copyright line in. And it, again and again, I find they sometimes change what I've written and made it more politically proper, or they uh, don't bother with the copyright line. And and that's how I, you know, take care of my disabled daughter, and that's how I pay the rent. Sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So what what Carol's talking about when we're talking about the creative process is our ego getting in the way of whatever, and our sense of, uh, but in, but our, your ego is not getting in the way when you're trying to protect your ability to support your family. Right? That's a well, different. Carol was saying about earning a living from your I don't have a, you know, you know, I mean, a lot of people earn a living from their creative process. What I think you have to, what I have to, for me, not necessarily you, for me, I have to know that that didn't come from me. The inspiration. The inspiration, that didn't come from me. You know, somebody, somebody said one time they were in a library and they were trying to write, and I've had this experience, 
trying to write, trying to write, and there's a noise going on over there, and I can't write. The reason I can't write, I can't hear my, I can't hear it. So if I'm hearing it, where's it coming from? It's not coming from me. So we're dealing with, we're dealing, these, are, these are related but different things, Diane. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Carol's talking about, to, so if you have a relationship with the source of inspiration, you, you know how to tune into it, you wait, for, you wait for it, you set up the conditions so that it can speak through you, all of that creative process, whether it's arts in what we think of as arts, or whether it's just, just how you live your life, waiting for inspiration that you will then turn into uh, reality, right? We are, that's our job, is to take, take ideas and inspiration and manifest them in the world, however you see that process. If, I think, I think it's probably true for almost all of us that if you are calculating about what's in it for me, while the inspiration is coming, That's the kid. it yeah. won't be successful, you won't be a successful conduit for its manifestation. Right. Once it's manifested, sure. um, sell it. Sell it. <laughs> right. Uh, okay? Or give it away. Or, but that's a diff we're talking about a different thing there. So I'm talking about the, the ego that wants to say, I did this, interfering with the fact that you didn't do it. You're the conduit for it, and that stops you because, exactly. you know. And then the question of how we live in the world, whether it's what Betsy raised or, uh, you know, what Shauna raised or what. This is a big challenge that we face. But if the challenge of living in the world makes our inner life wither, then what are we alive for? That's my question. Right. So I guess, you know, that I'm, this is a, so here at this synagogue, we're trying to pay attention to our inner lives so that we can meet the world without being essentially uh, um, uh, uh, um, stymied and squashed by it. You know, the world's going to crush our, try to crush our spirits. We're assaulted every day, every minute right now. This is called, a, we're a synagogue. We're, we're trying to stay in touch with our souls. And uh, so that when we go and meet the world, we have something to bring to it again that we've remembered that's true for us. It's, it's the only way I can express it. Uh, none of that minimizes the challenges we face. At the same time, I mean, if you read Holocaust literature and you read accounts of people who are in the camps, which is always where the Jewish conversation goes, what about? Then you reach the depth, utter depths of the desire to destroy the human soul and spirit. And then you read about who, who managed to keep it alive and how. We don't face that kind of challenge right this minute, thank God. We can do this. We can do this. We have the inner resources and we have the wise friends that we can do this. We can keep our balance and we can keep moving forward without sacrificing our, uh, what we feel is crucial to our essence of who we are. We can do this. It's bad, but it's not, it's, we can do this. That's how I feel. That's what I wanted to share. <laughs>
Gary? It's a contrarian point of view. Go for it. Uh, I do have one, but first of all, I'd like to address your point, and there are many of the greatest artists through history who feel very differently than the Stravinsky. Stravinsky is perhaps the greatest example in the 20th century of someone who was a Nazi son of a gun and believed that every idea came from him. Um, and he was a genius. Um, but uh, I'm disturbed, uncomfortable, um, by some of the comments uh, politically. And I'll tell you why, it's not because I disagree with them in any sense. Mm -hmm. It's that because it, the spirit, and I'll say this openly, violates one of my masters, which is discernment. And I'm thinking of two, two really good thinkers. I, 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 you mentioned Holocaust literature. I'm, I'm reading Frankel's you know, Man's, Man's Search, Search for Meeting, and Victor Frankel. He says something incredibly amazing to me in that he says that the people who lost faith most quickly and succumbed are those who were who sacrificed their critical perspective. He said it was the ones who survived were the ones who were able to discriminate between the guards themselves mm -hmm. and even within the individual guard, the good and the bad. And to, the, the ones who lost the ability to critically examined the guards, lost all sense of perspective on lives. I thought that was incredibly fascinating. That's not contrary, and that's beautiful, it's fantastic. And I'm also thinking of another great thinker, Socrates. And, and this- I heard of him. <laughs> and what this guy did, as we all know, he took these blowhards, he took these guys who thought they were really smart, and he treated them with more respect than you could possibly imagine, and took the arguments apart one by one by one. So what I find disturbing, and again, I'm not sharing my political perspective on this. I don't think it would be uh, far removed from anyone's in this room. But where is the decency in the Trump supporter? Where is the decency in Mike Pence? Where is the decency in Donald Trump that somehow went awry? And how can I separate out the arguments that I have with policy and the horrendous way that human beings are treated from my instinctual need to take discernment and throw it to the side. That was beautifully said. Here, here. Thank you. Thank you. And I have to ask you, you mentioned taking apart arguments. People have been taking apart Donald Trump's arguments since the day before he took office, and it doesn't seem to matter. Ah, but Carol, I don't think you heard um, Gary's point, which is about your soul. Right. His, yeah, of course. Yours, yours, yours. If we become, if we turn the world into us and them, and don't see each human being as a that, and not each human being theoretically or on the TV screen, because who knows which of us is going to have that conversation with Donald Trump. Uh, but each person we encounter, maybe a Trump supporter, and we can't discern the decency in them, then we have lost our bearing. Right. Yeah. And we have lost our soul. And that is not how I intend, as a Jew, to walk through the world. And I say as a Jew because I use these teachings as my, as my guide. Not I as a Jew as opposed to, you know, but as someone who uses this tradition. Uh, so I was just preparing for Rosh Hashanah, 
and I found this um, uh, saying in uh, uh, this teaching in the Talmud, which says that, um, and again, I don't have it in front of me, <laughs> says something like, um, so um, the teacher is a, a sage named Rabbah, and uh, Rabbah says that, um, I'm conflating two teachings. In one teaching in Tractate Rosh Hashanah, it says that um, there were three books open on Rosh Hashanah uh, in the heavenly court. A book for the completely righteous, a book for the completely wicked, and a book for the Benonim. Benonim means middling, average, or in-between. Right. And... Uh, Rabbah says, well, I go in the in-between book. And his student and nephew, Abaye, says, Rabbah, if you go in the in-between book, where does that put all, all of us? You're like unbelievably righteous. Uh, how are we even going to live? And that's a typical Talmudic joke. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, but the answer is, anybody who views themselves as completely righteous is definitely not in that book. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? So we're gonna, we're, and anyone who uses them, and, and anyone we we attribute to being completely wicked, who am I to judge? Therefore, we're all in the same book. Exactly. And this, and 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 I've been thinking about this. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Oh, are we in trouble? Right. I'll say it my way. We're primates, for God's sake. We're not, you know, we're we're intelligent primates who have this, uh, we're all, who have this incredible capacity to transcend self-interest. Uh, but we're also animals protecting our own, right? And uh, yeah, we're in, this is the human situation. I mean, there's another teaching in here, I don't think I put it in, which I put in my email the other day, where one of the sages said, do not trust the authorities, for they will say what they want to get you on their side, and then they'll forget about you, mm-hmm. right? It's like they have no, they have no um, shade over their eyes. So yes. We are in trouble. We're all in the same boat. And if we become judge and jury, that's God's job in the Jewish tradition. God sits on the judgment throne. If we become judge and jury, then uh, I stand completely with Gary's point. Um, Now, that doesn't mean this disembodied yelling at the TV screen because there's so little we have control over right now. But it does mean how we walk through our day how we write our letters, how we talk to people, how we are, we, are we, are we, are we out of hand deciding that that person's in the book of the completely wicked? If we are, then we're in deep trouble because we're not on the judgment seat. Well, I, you know, I have a lot of work to do on that. I, oh, I why? Let's I watched, Last night I watched um, a movie about the men and women who actually captured Eichmann in, in Argentina. Oh, oh yeah. the men and women ben who captured Kingsley Eichmann played, in Argentina. Played, I, played Eichmann, and I gotta tell you, if, if evil in the dictionary, his picture right there. That's right. Um, so, but we don't get to put him there. <laughs> History can put him there, uh, but in terms of look, I, so let me qualify. What I was going to say, I'm so sorry to keep you all waiting. Um, <laughs> This kind of wisdom pertains to people with conscience. 
If you're a person of conscience, then you, don't want us, you do not want to sacrifice your soul on the altar of hatred, on the altar of harsh, complete, utter judgment. At the same time, it's pretty damn clear that there is a subset, a small percentage of human beings who are sociopaths, who have no conscience, and who only see other people as instrumental to their ends. That is the definition of evil, and there are evil people in the world. So I am not saying that's not true. I'm not being Pollyannish, not at all. How, and so I've had to learn as an adult that this is the case. And that just in my own naive interactions with people, I have to have my, my radar out, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's, that for me has been a giant part of growing up uh, so that, just so that I can function intelligently in the world because there are sociopaths in the world. I've met them, I know them. I do everything I, and I can to, to <clears throat> make sure they don't gain power over other people. I'm thinking of a time, a long time ago, when I helped uh, someone leave their sociopathic husband uh, and uh, made sure that that person had no ability to continue to control that person's life, right? So it doesn't have to be just politics. I mean, we see it everywhere. We see it in, in, in domestic relationships. We see it everywhere. Okay. Just by the way, read Eichmann's My Battle with the Truth, his autobiography. Watch him grapple with these things. Even he was more complicated than you would have thought. It makes me shudder. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Gary, I didn't even know he wrote an autobiography. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's What's called the name of it? My Battle with the Truth, is, I, I believe. My Battle with the Truth. I think that's what it is years ago. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, Deborah, but uh, yeah. Ruth's been waiting and waiting. Um, I know the frustration, but I don't... I, I can watch it and then I go, but today it's not bothering me right now because I can't do anything about it and I will not let it get to me. I think we need to, I need to spend more time thinking about the goodness I can give to my friends and my family and my community. I don't know if it was Ziga that said think globally but act locally. I'm thinking more of what can I do in little things and I think we forget our most important, in my mind, my import most important relationship is with myself and with my family. And that's what I try, and my friends. And that's what I try to foster and try to work on. And that's where I can get my reward for aggravation. But I can do that. Some of the stuff you can't do. And I can't, you know, my husband makes fun of me because I walk, watch Hallmark. Because I can't, there are days I can't deal with the news. I watch the Hallmark Channel. And I watch have a good cry. I, it's stupid, and I know it is, but nobody dies. It's, it's, it's romantic stupidity. And you can open it up, and within five minutes, you know where it's going to go. But once in a while, I need to pull back on reality right. and go into this fantasy world. But I have to. Well, I want to say it's not a fantasy world, it's another aspect of what is reality. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I don't think it's reality. I think it's reality. <laughs> oh, okay. It, it, you know, it makes you feel good. It, it makes you feel when good. My blood pressure goes all the way down. <laughs> but, but I have to spend, I'm trying to spend more time on me and what I can make me better for me and my family and friends. And that's Thank where you. I try to do Thank my energy. You. 
and yes, I will, I will help the stranger and, and that fire mm -hmm. up, but I need to take care of me first, because if I'm not good, I'm not good to anybody. Right. All the way up the ladder. Thank you. Thank you. And here's why I think it's reality. Because the world is sustained every day by countless acts of mm -hmm. kindness. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say it is reality. Mm -hmm. And that's, there's other, there, it's all reality. But if we can focus in the way you described, so that we, thank you for sharing that. Gail, you had your hand up. Just essentially was objection to policies, not naming people as people, but on the whole. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to stand up and object to policies. Mm -hmm. um, and you started by saying, you know, you're the founder <coughs> of the Constitution. Right. Yeah. Right. What are our highest purpose? Yeah. Good. Then we don't even have to think about what the other person's soul is. Right. We can, con con that's right, we can stand up for what we think is right and work for it. That's another way to protect ourselves so that we uh, don't become ad hominem haters. Particularly yeah. because the sense of powerlessness tends to lead to hate. Powerlessness, to yes, indeed. Anything you can do to feel less powerless is crucial. Both, One, both for the world and also for our inner, for our souls. Well said. Well said. Uh, Deborah, then Rob, and then Blaze. So I, I want to talk a little about evil. Because I don't think it's only sociopathy. I think it's also exactly this piece Which that um, the um, the uh, the reward of a trans transgression against its cause is, is another transgression. Oh, oh, yes. So so I once heard on NPR this story of a person in it was Bosnia who um, was, was talking about how hard it was for him to, to kill his first, it was a Serbian saying how hard it was for him to kill his first Bosnian. But once he did it, it wasn't so bad, and then right. he could do another, and then he could do another. And I think it's a kind of energetic thing that we're talking about here that sometimes what we're seeing is evil is that building on that kind of energy. Um, I'm also thinking about um, having seen Jim Jones' story. And you know what, he started out okay. He started out really wanting to do good and wanting to have a, like a communist culture where you know people were taken care of. And, and, and then the power and control demon grew and grew and grew to the disaster we saw. And the other contrast in this teaching is the same thing is true of doing good. And it, to your point of watching good and participating in good and participating in decency, that has an energy too. Yes. So it's not like we have to say Jim Jones is the devil, but we can say Jim Jones, that evil, built and built and built for him in the, in the form of power mm -hmm. um, 
different things for, you know, and this other guy, the other guy power too, that powers one of those energies that you build and build and build, and it turns evil. It looks like evil, it is evil, it does horrific things, and I don't mind calling it that, but I'm not saying that person didn't start as a precious piece of God. I'm saying that, that this thing as an energy that's really, we have to pay attention to in ourselves and in other people. Well said. So let me, um, let me put in a plug for Judaism. <laughs> um, that's our story. Pharaoh says, I am God. This is our story. Pharaoh says, I am God. And when Moses confronts him and says, yod Vavhe, the voice at the burning bush, has, has sent me to tell you, let my people go that they might serve me in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Pharaoh says, I do not know yod Vavhe, and I will not let the people go. Okay, so Pharaoh represents the end game of humans' addiction to power. All the Israelites are just instruments for him to manipulate and benefit from. Judaism says that is not the plan for humanity. It's a, and, and, and it's a radical, revolutionary term, you know, story. However, the plan for humanity is not just freedom from Pharaoh. The plan for humanity is to go free from Pharaoh and then receive the Torah, which teaches us how to do mitzvot. And this is different from the creative muse. It's related because the Torah comes as revelation. The moral law in Jewish faith is inherently connected to the creative law, right? So we call God both the creator of the universe and the giver of Torah. So we believe as Jews that the moral law inheres in, in the, the, the nature of the universe. We believe that. Nonetheless, as humans, we have to fulfill the moral law whether we feel like it or not, and whether we are motivated to or not, because otherwise our desire for, for self-gratification and power will creep in. So I can talk about that a lot, but I just wanted to say, think Pharaoh. Yeah. And, uh, um, and what the Jewish story is, which is that we have to be liberated from that force, and that can be the Pharaoh within as well. We have to be liberated from that force. Having been liberated, we turn into a bunch of whiny complainers. <laughs> right? That's the Torah. And we are not fulfilled until... We have to serve somebody, as Dylan said, until we put ourselves in service of the moral law. Uh, which means that every human being, as the Torah asserts in Genesis chapter 1, is created in the divine image and therefore has divine potential somewhere planted within them. So it's as stark as it can be, in that sense, Judaism, uh, to back up things that, such as Gary was saying and that you're saying. And, that, right. uh, and I just wanted to say that that's, our, that's, that's the Jewish framework for how we understand how we came into being as a people. If we, as a Jewish people, do not fulfill 
practice fulfilling the moral law that's been given to us, then we have completely failed at our covenant with the Creator. Uh, and so it's a tall order, but, you know, there's a reason why Jews have a guilty conscience. Yeah. You know, because we, we have culturally taken on the idea that it's our job to enact justice in the world. I'm, I'm there. I'm in. Like, that, that's a good game. To, I like this. I like being on this playing field. Mm -hmm. Even though I want to scream and run off sometimes. <laughs> Rob. You know, I just, I'm glad you said all that, because I boil all of this down. The first Talk a little louder, you're far away. Sure. I, I kind of boil it down, or it's, it might sound a little reductionist, but it's really, you know, do we want to be actional or transactional? And that is what this unconditional business is of giving, and it's both. Are we doing it to get something in exchange, to receive a reward, or are we just doing it because we have to do it? Right. And it's the right Because that's our job. It's our, it's the doing is the doing. The doing is the, that is the end. You know, going back to Red Cage, who said, you know, John process, Cage. Pro process not object. Yeah. And I think once we start thinking of things, whether it's talking about the muse, it, it fits into all these categories. Do we, again, do we want to be actional, doing, being, because, or do we want to be transactional, which is to receive something? And I don't think that's. That's not the world I want to be in. And unfortunately, that is the world that we are in right now, going back to politics and just capitalism and all these things. And that's the, that's the, the rub. That's the fight that we sort of, the, the, the edge that we're in every day, right? Is how do we live tr actionally in a, in a world that says it's a transactional world? And I think that's, that's really what this teaching to me is about, or these teachings that we all gave as well. Thank you. Carol, thank you, Rob. Well said. I, I cannot see, I can see the pitfalls, I can see the pitfalls either place, but it is the transactional to me that makes everything worthwhile. It is, it, it, it's not just that you should say thank you to me, it's that I am influenced by your presence, and you are influenced by my presence. And, and when we work together towards something, we're stronger than when we don't. And so, I mean, maybe it's just a matter of semantics here, but, but one of these things is making me think I have to do it all by myself, and that makes me really <laughs> scared. And one of these things is I have partners everywhere. And that makes me feel, things feel possible. Thank you. So. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, you know the, um, uh, uh, Laurie and then Blaze, but I just want to say there's, there's that, uh, I guess it's a, I think it's a joke. I, think it, I don't think it's a, like a, of, the, 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 of the rabbi and two disputants come uh, before him and one lays out a whole argument and the rabbi says, you're right. And then the other one lays out. <laughs> You're right. It's a fiddler on the roof, actually. Oh, really? It's a fiddler? Yes. When you hear it in English, it's a fiddler on the roof. Uh, and, then, and then the third person said, Rabbi, how can and You're right, too. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. You are also and right. You're also right. Of course you're right. What I heard Rob saying about transactional, um, okay. Carol, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is that it's a marketplace kind of transaction. 
not an interpersonal. What, what do I get for this? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's both. For okay. me, it's both. Okay. It's, mm -hmm. it's what do I get for it, whether it's in the marketplace or even just the emotional thing. So, for example, I, some of you know I do a radio show. I have no idea who's listening, what right. they think, right. if they're turning it off, if they hate it, if they're screaming at the radio, if they're laughing. I have no, I have no idea. And you know what? I kind of don't really care because I'm doing my thing. And when I do get feedback, it's usually great. Sometimes it's not so good. That's okay too. So, so I think it's, it's me. It's, 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 it's dependent on each other. The action is the. It, I don't know how else to say it, but like, like the action is where you find God or something, or, or there's a godliness to the doing, not necessarily to the the result of the doing. Although getting a nice result of the doing is great, and working with others to get that done is great. Even when it's not a nice result. I was thinking, right. Shelley, when you were telling your story, what a fabulous gift your niece gave you right. so that you would have that problem and you could go to the rabbi and <laughs> that. Seriously. No, that's a very, when, whenever, we, whenever we touch that level of consciousness, uh, it's a very high level when we can thank the people who've given us a hard time because it allowed us to grow. That is a very high level. And I, I want to say, may we all be blessed with reaching that level from time to time. I'm serious. Because then, I'm serious, it's a beautiful, beautiful level to get to. Um, uh, Blaze and then David. I have about four or five different things. Well, you have the floor. Just talk nice and loud. Uh, first of all, regarding the thanks situation, um, sometimes I'll just spout off an email really fast and I forget to say thanks. And so if somebody thanks me, what comes to me is how the times that I didn't. And so it brings into my consciousness, not that I'm getting thanks and it's wonderful, which of course that's nice, but the whole notion of, oh, this person has done something that I want to do more and often fail to do. So that's kind of looking at my own sort of mm, missteps or misguided ways of being too quick. Okay, uh, well, I just want to say, yeah. for me, practicing gratitude whenever I'm able is like the key to everything. Yeah. My whole consciousness changes. Yeah. It's not about what I've given. It's about everything that I'm receiving all the time. Right. And I, that is certainly one of the deepest fundamental practices we could do to remember that right. we're, we're graced with life. And I find that when, especially if I'm driving or my mind is just spinning uselessly into something or I'm <laughs> complaining about something, to take that complaint and turn it around into a gratitude or just a notice of what I'm receiving at that very moment, even if it's the most mundane thing like a cushion, um, you know, it's, it's a, a very useful practice for me to get myself out of myself and to, you know, to stop complaining about whatever it is because even if I, even if a dog barking bothers me, I know that I have ears and I can hear. Mm -hmm. So you can, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of an amazing practice. To Thank do. you. Um, the other thing I wanted to um, say is that for a long time, and I want to be doing it again, I was praying for Trump, and I would tell somebody, and they go, hey, what do you want to? and I, I realized that 
one of the things I was praying for was that he be relieved of suffering, but I've changed that now, to, that he become aware of his own suffering, because in that, change may be occurring. So that was kind of like a, mm, a different twist. Um, the other thing, you mentioned uh, Victor Frankel, and I don't know if people have heard of her, a woman named um, Dr. Eva Egar. Eva Egar? E-G-A-R, I believe. She's written a book called The Choice, Embrace the Possible, or Embrace the Possibility. She is a Holocaust survivor who, when she, when she was a teenager, and when she was liberated, after a long story, she went to school to become um, a psychologist, wrote a paper on Viktor Frankl, which somebody sent to him, and he took her on as his, and he mentored her through her life and his life. Viktor Frankl was also a psychiatrist, if you're not familiar right. with his work. And she may be a psychiatrist, I don't know, but it's an amazing book and an amazing story and really you know, goes in parallel to Viktor Frankl and her the way she has lived her life and her outlook on life is so um, incredibly helpful and beautiful. So I recommend it. The book is called The Choice, and her name is Eva Egger. And she was, I saw her on um, Oprah's Soul Sunday. And what was interesting is I got the book, and about a quarter of the way through, I realized that I had read it before. <laughs> she wrote it when she was 90, and I think she's still alive. And so it's just a wonderful book to read. Um, the other thing I wanted to go back to was the um, serving, expecting to receive a reward. And um, I think for me, an important question for me to ask myself is whose need am I serving with this particular action? Might be mine and somebody else's at the same time. Also might not be mine. And so just to raise the question uh, can be enlightening for self-knowledge and sometimes can help me discern whether or not actually take that action or not. You know, for whose benefit am I, am I doing this? And for whose we, benefit am I doing this? Right. Mm -hmm. And it can look one way, but when I search inside, it can actually be for mine. And then it's like, oh, Sometimes that's okay, sometimes maybe not. So it's a way of, I, when I think about doing it, I can slow myself down a little bit. Thank you, thank you. David. <clears throat> One of the thoughts that I had about the issue of reward is that <clears throat> if you're following your conscience, in the way that you're acting, there's going to be self-satisfaction. And that, that is reward. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. No. And the other thing that I was thinking about was, um, <coughs> when you're talking about discernment, was look, looking for the positive. And if there's, <clears throat> what you were saying is your, your niece or nephew didn't thank you, but it led you to have a discussion with the rabbi. Well, that was the positive. <laughs> right, right, right. So it was a 
kind of a hard thing to find that positive type. If you look for it, you can find it somewhere. Another part of the, 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 our toolkit for keeping ourselves on our feet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. <coughs> and it's fine for us to sit quiet for a minute, by the mm -hmm. way. There's a lot of food on the table. Some days these days, right, I wake up and I don't know how I'm going to get rolling into my day because the world is so, so heavy upon me. And so, and I do, you know, I like, I, but I, I'm saying that because, uh, uh, and then day improves usually, almost always. Um, but I'm saying it because everyone here has shared so many beautiful ways to remember that we have this capacity. But there is a struggle. That struggle has always been with human beings. Every human being has to figure out day by day how to reboot according to, our, according to how we want to walk in the world. So I'm just very grateful that we're all here. Lori? It's a little off topic, but maybe not. So this is my world, and I enter into your world. What is it about me, human beings, that we don't do what we know we should do? We don't floss. We don't exercise. We don't meditate. <laughs> what is that internal conversation? There is a reward in that. It's a negative reward. Good point. What's with us anyway? We know what the we know what we're supposed to do, and we don't do it. Uh huh. What? We do a lot of it. I know. I know. That's why it's good to have a community that supports you, friends, people, because we can't do it ourselves. But here's another contrarian position. Yeah. Some of us do all of those things. And finally realize, what am I running away from? <laughs> true, true. Some of us have to get underneath all of that exactly. stuff and see what, and examine another we source. We need the authentic stuff comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> who, you're right, who, you're does, right. who doesn't exercise every day? <laughs> um, Martha. Um, well, I have a flossing and mother-in-law story from last week's <laughs> times about um, this uh, social cues that runs on Sunday. And, oh, um, the advice column? The, yes, the oh, advice column. Oh, by Philip I one, always read that. Yeah, me too. And this one was 
a woman who says, I adore my daughter-in-law of 10 years, but at a fancy restaurant, she brought out her dental floss and lost her teeth, and then left it on the table, and what should I do about it? And he said, what your mother decided, she's a wonderful daughter-in-law, leave it, and isn't it, and whatever she, isn't it better that your children, that your grandchildren floss their teeth at the table in fancy restaurants than not at all? <laughs> yes, um, I always read this column. It's by Philip Galanis. He has the That's best right. advice. I know, and he usually agrees with us too. <laughs> I have a question well, about. It's, um, it's in the New York Times. Oh, it's in the style oh, section on Sunday. Right. Okay. Called social cues. Oh, social cues. Yeah. I have a, a question about your um, what your mother said about keeping her mouth shut yep. and not saying anything. Was that to keeping her mouth shut to the daughters-in-law, or was it keeping her mouth shut also to the sons? To the sons too. Yeah. She was amazing. Yeah. But and I'm, you know, I'm going to be talking about my mom a lot for a long time, and I'm, I, it's my way of of continuing to process her losing her and wanting to remember all the great things about her. Yeah. She was amazing, because she was, as I said, she wasn't. There was no pretense, and she was a. She was anxious. She was worried. She was a. It's like it wasn't like she was some some uh, saint enlightened person at all. But boy, did she have her uh, head screwed on! Mm. Wow, wow. So yeah, I'm definitely talking. I'm asking her a lot of time. What should I do? And then fortunately, since I had her for my whole life, I, I know what she would say. Thank God, most of the time. Let's let's look at um, Hilla. Look at page one. And we'll look at a couple things at Hillel. And let me just preface this. Because you, you have to understand who Hillel was. Hillel received the tradition in this chain along with Shammai. And Hillel and Shammai are two of the most quoted sages in the, uh, in the Jewish tradition. What you need to know about Hillel is that his, he lived right before, in the first century BCE, we can date him right before about the year zero. He probably died around 10, the year 10, or something in the Christian county, right? So he precedes Jesus by several decades. That's how you can date Hillel. And Hillel was such a transcendent um, figure in Judaism that the, the tradition, the practice, the tradition of passing what was called passing along the, 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 the lineage to pairs stops with Hillel and Shammai. And after Hillel, the descendants of Hillel become the patriarchs of Judaism and their men, the patriarchs of Judaism for the next three to four hundred years until the, until the sort of Palestinian, the, the Judean Palestinian Jewish community is scattered and starts to disperse. What was the shift though? It was that? from a passing of the uh, leadership of the uh, academy from a, a a pair, one who was called the Avbeit Din, meaning 
and the one was like the CEO and the other who was like the president. I don't know what exactly this, I can't remember what the distinctions were, to the next pair, generationally. And Hillel was so, so transcendent that his descendants were installed, so it became that kind of lineage. Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that's how... Now, fortunately, Hillel is the guy, right? Hillel, therefore, shapes rabbinic Judaism. Hillel shapes a lot of Jesus' teachings. And we're going to look at that when we do this class later in the fall. Uh, Hillel is the guy. So I want you to keep that in mind to understand that he's just not another voice. Um, And Hillel would say, number 12, be a disciple of Aaron, loving peace and pursuing peace, loving your fellow creatures and drawing them near to the study of Torah. That's a typical... Hillel saying, because uh, Hillel is, is love, love. Hillel is the Torah of love. And then he would say, 14, this was a favorite teaching of Hillel, and this is the one most of us know the best. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? And if I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? So the reason I want to sort of wrap up the class on this one is that whereas the, what we started with, don't, do, don't serve your master with, with the goal of receiving a, 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 a reward, leads to very deep, important discussions. But Hillel lives so deeply in human reality, which is that, of course I have to be in it for myself. Right? We have to. Who's going to do it for us? If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? So it's like, let's not mess around here. Let's not talk about being utterly selfless. That's baloney. That's bull. Um, It's like the guy who says they're completely righteous. They're not in that book. Right? We have to be for ourselves. Who else is going to do it? Let's just stop right there. And remember that that's okay. (laughs) You follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And if I am only for myself, me, me, what am I? And there you go. We have to balance self and other. We have to balance our needs with the needs of others. We have to, and we have to do them both. And if not, now when? And if I put anything on my, um, you know, banner, letterhead, that's what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And so you can see why, I can see why Hello rose to the top, you know. He, he cuts right through it. He also, also, as we talked last time, speaks in ways that you're not going to be satisfied with one or the other half of the equation. Because they don't add up, that you need them both to add up to being a human being. So um, let's repeat it. If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? I mean, honestly, what are we how else are we going to get through life? And if I'm only for myself, what am I? I'm headed for Pharaoh land. <laughs>
And if not now? When? For me, that answers all the questions. <laughs> um, it's, not the, it's a simple formula that requires a lifetime of daily enacting. Right. Wasn't it discovered after his death, though, that Hillel went out in the night and knocked over his neighbor's mailboxes? <laughs> he wasn't such yes. a good guy. He really wasn't. Yeah, that's in the, there's the, this apocryphal story in the Talmud about Hillel, like, you know. Just knocking over. And his, he, he, he. Bulldogged him, right? Up. Right, and he had this, like, really loud motorcycle, too. <laughs> So um, I'd like to close there. It's a little, little before two, but I just want to end on that note and thank you again. I hope this is feeding you in the way you need to be fed at this time. Let's do it again next week. Yeah. Ah, the shofar. Ellen's so good at reminding us. Let's all rise. This is like the um, the vibration, like the uh, think of it as uh, um, for your subtle energy body to take in all the teachings today and let it. We don't have to think this one. We can just that's what the shofar's for. It's considered to be in many teachings the sound that comes out of which creation is made. The vibration.